But for this morning, we're going to get into 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 uh, together this morning. And one of those things is we consider uh, just life. And we come before the Lord looking to him for answers. How many of you guys would say life is full of questions? I mean, we always have questions. So how do I please God? You know, what is God's will for my life? In dating relationships, how far is too far? Pastor, why did you throw that one up there? Because I did youth ministry for 13 years, and that was a question that came up a lot. And I love it because God actually has the answers to anything in life. All things that pertain to life and godliness, it's found in God's word, and he answers those things. So as we get into chapter 4 this morning of 1 Thessalonians, it is full of answers for you and I. Um, so please turn there now if you haven't. And one of the things that I love about the word of God, it is so practical. It's practical now. Do you guys know that? I think that's one of the reasons why you hang out at Freedom Fellowship, because you know we take the word of God seriously, and you know how relative, there we go, relevant it is uh, to our lives. One thing I believe about the word of God, it's profound. How many of you guys agree with me? But it's also simple at the same time. And how do you know it's simple, Pastor Landon? Because I'm a pretty simple guy, and I get it, okay? (laughs) So it's also profoundly simple and simply profound at the same time, and that's our God. He has spoken to us in all matters of life. So all the precepts that we learn should really be put into practice. It's one thing this morning to study the Word of God, but are we going to be doers of it? Otherwise, we're just wasting our time. If you're here this morning just hoping to feel good and hear a little sermon and get back to your own life for the rest of the week, you're wasting your time. Go home. Like, watch some football today. Like, you know. But the Word of God, if we take it serious and do it, it's going to radically have effects in our lives. I love what William Barclay said. He said, our lives must be sermons to win men for Christ. Can I get a show of hands? How many of you guys want to see other people come to know Jesus Christ? Yeah. That's what I want to see more than anything in this life. Honestly, more than anything. I love my family. I love that my kids are getting older, and there's a lot of different seasons in life, guys. A lot of things to look forward to. But man, what if we gain this whole world and we lose our soul? I have come into relationship with the living God. I understand the gospel. I know who Jesus is and how as believers can we not want others to have that also. There's nothing better than knowing your God, being at peace with your maker. So to have a truly Christian view of sexuality, okay? Why are we going there this morning? Because that's what this chapter is about. We must understand four great acts. And I want you guys, I'm going to lay this down to kind of give us some framework for this morning. There's four great acts that we see in God's drama. Okay, There's this epic poem of God's saving work. And we destroy our understanding of the script if we mix up the order of those acts. First of all, let's consider all the way back in the beginning, we have creation, right? You open your Bible. I read... uh, Genesis chapter 1 with my kids last night. That was our devotion. We had some neat conversation around chapter 1, but that's where it all began. God created creation. And if we do not understand ourselves first as being divine handiwork, 
created in God's image, everything else in our lives is going to get distorted. The second act that we see in the Bible is the fall, okay? The fall twists, it ruins everything except the imprint of creation. And then we have a third act that took place in the scriptures, and that is redemption. Great. Things were made perfect, creation in the image of God. The fall came, sin entered the world. Now what? God steps in to redeem. So Christ is at work in those who love him, redeeming them. And then there's a fourth act, which we look forward to, and that's actually where Thessalonians is going to take us next week as we finish chapter 4. But there's glorification. That's the final consumption, the blessed hope that you and I have as Christians. So the Christian view of sexuality must be understood through that biblical drama. And I think if we grasp that, it'll help us understand this section of scripture this morning. So God created marriage. And aren't you guys glad? Amen? Okay. Um, And intimacy. So everything God created is good. Do you guys know that? Everything is created is good. That's an act one, right? But notice that what God created to be good has to be cleaned off because it's been dropped in the mud. The fall. Act two. So, through Christ, sex can be redeemed. And that would be act three. So we must start with creation, recognize the fall, and then participate in redemption. Does that make sense? Awesome. So the heart of the Christian, okay, sexual morality is this. God made sexual union for a purpose, okay? The uniting of husband and wife into one flesh. So God uses sexual intercourse to weld two people together. Some of you guys might be like, why are we going here this morning? Because that's where the scripture is taking us. My te- I forget what Finn said this week. We, we were talking about something about sex at home this week. He's 10 years old. And he's just like, no problem. You know, we've been talking about this forever. And I think these are conversations, guys, that we need to be having with our kids. And especially in the culture in which we live today. I know uh, from the scriptures, we all know 1 Corinthians 6.16. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a harlot is one body with her? So if God is telling us that two become one, Okay, for the two, he says, shall become one flesh. So that's something that God makes a very clear for you and I in Scripture. So God has a big purpose when it comes to sex because the big purpose is for marriage. Now, something bigger than simply a means for us to get sexual needs met or to have fun or to have children or not to be lonely. Okay, first, um, well, Ephesians chapter 5. I preach it at almost every wedding I do. You guys remember? Yeah, guys actually remember, they just got married. Sometimes when people get married, they're so in all the day, they don't actually hear what's <laughs> being said at the, the service. But uh, we learn a little bit more of what this bigger purpose is, okay? The Apostle Paul tells us in Ephesians 5, verse 31, a man leaves his father and mother to be joined to his wife. And the two are united into one. This is a great mystery, he says, but it's an illustration of the way 
Christ and the church are one. Okay? So there's something to this relationship to marriage that is a picture for you and I as believers is God's relationship to us. So marriage is a living parable. It's a concrete symbol. It models for the world this mystical union of Christ and his people. So according to God's original design, marriage is grand, okay? It's even cosmic in meaning. And this meaning remains regardless of how pathetically short that we fall in that grand design. Now, if marriage occupies the place in God's plan, and intimacy is so important to God's plan for marriage, we can see how vital then importance, uh, obedience to God uh, and his standards for sexuality are. So sex is a gift, but it can uh, be a gift that is abused. You see, God's intent for sex is to be used inside and outside of marriage. Inside is the proper use of pleasure, procreation, and something is shared lovingly with gratitude to build up and to unite a couple. That's a beautiful thing. Outside of marriage, the proper use of sex is to honor God by costly obedience in living a chaste life. So, a difficult commitment. We learn the value of obedience through it, over gratification. And that's the problem with our society today. Instant gratification. Wait till I'm married, why would I do that? You're dumb if you would do that. But that's what God's asked us to do. So we serve God instead of serving our own lusts. And is that a good thing to do, guys? Absolutely. And that's why the Apostle Paul is taking us where he's taking us this morning in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. So let's look here at pleasing God. Sorry, I went through all these already with you guys. <clears throat> let's look at pleasing God. In verse 1, finally, then, brethren, we urge... And exhort you in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more just as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God. For you know what commandments we gave you through the Lord Jesus. I want you guys to catch up here more and more. It's something that really stuck out to me as I was studying through this passage. We see it in verse 1. We see it in verse 10 again. So are you trying to just get by as a Christian? Or are you trying to abound more and more? More and more should be the desire of every Christian. I want you guys to consider Proverbs chapter 30 with me. <clears throat> uh, verses 15 and 16 if you're taking notes. There are three things that are never satisfied. For, say enough, the grave, the barren womb, the earth that is not satisfied with water, and fire that never says enough. Guys, wanting to be more and more like Christ, I think should probably be the fifth thing that is never satisfied. Okay? Do you guys know that's what God is wanting for us, brother and sister? 
that we are being made more into his image every day. So life is marked by growth or decay. One or the other. So pleasing God is not a matter of choice for the Christian. It is a necessity which grows out of relationship to Christ. Charles Riley said that, and I totally agree with him. So what do we know about pleasing God? I'm glad you guys asked. Um, first of all, we know that we cannot please God by walking in the flesh, right? Romans 8.8. 8. So then, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You just can't do it. So we also know that we cannot please God if we're wrapped up in the affairs of this life. It doesn't work. I want to share with you guys, <clears throat> Point Man, uh, Steve Farrar. You guys ever read this book? I've read it a couple times. I would encourage all my brothers here to pick up this book. Phenomenal read on being a man of God, leading your family. Um, <clears throat> I want to share with you guys just a few things that he had written. I'd love to share them all, but we don't have time for that. Um, he says this, real men don't commit adultery. He says, uh, <clears throat> there's a staggering proportions. Uh, it is taking in or taking place in America. Um, he's not talking about AIDS. He's thinking about adultery. And then he says, in a war on family, adultery is treason. He also says adultery has become an affair. So let's track this word affair for a moment. He says, Dennis Rainey has come up with the best definition of an affair that I know of. According to him, an affair is an escape from reality or a search for meaning outside of marriage, which I would agree with. And later on, then he says, no wonder we have credibility crisis in Christianity today. Okay? We as believers are to be set apart. The unbelieving world should be able to look into our marriages and seeing a little drama being played out of how Christ loves the church. There should be love and respect for one another, unlike the world does. People should see that. But I have to agree, the credibility crisis in Christianity is sad. Just a couple weeks ago, Hillsong pastor out in New York, Carl Lentz or whatever his name is, you know, another affair, another mark against the church. That just grieves my heart, you know. And it'd be one thing if it's once in a great while, but it seems like every other week we're reading of something, you know, some leader within the Christian church falling. That shouldn't be happening. Um, let me share this. Um, later in his book, he says, if you're on a freeway looking for true happiness, do not take the X-marked adultery. It may look like a shortcut, but it isn't. It's a dead end. Keep driving until you find the X-marked obedience. That's the only road that will get you to genuine happiness. He says real men protect themselves against adultery. There's one other I wanted to share with you guys. I'm not finding it. Apologize, I got too many things marked up. Yeah. 
Oh, there it is. It's because I didn't have the page marked. But I wanted you guys to catch this. Uh, Alex D. Tocqueville, okay? He was a, uh 1800s guy, uh, French politician, okay? Uh, we'll cut him some slack for that. But what he said <laughs> was phenomenal because he actually visited America and he wrote about his visit uh, here. And what he said uh, just really hit me because it's true. He said this, I sought for the greatness in the genius of America in her commodity or her commodious harbors, in her ample rivers, and it was not there. In her fertile lands and boundless prairies, and it was not there. Not until I went to the churches of America and I heard her pulpits aflame with righteousness did I understand the secret of her genius and power. America is great because she is good. And if America ceases to be good, America will cease to be great. And I think he hit it on the head, guys. And where is righteousness being preached today? Where are Americans standing in truth? I'll be honest with you guys. When I'm driving around town and I pass a church, I wonder, oh, how liberal are they? Do they actually believe and trust the word of God or not? Because there are many churches today that are not standing in righteousness any longer. I wish it wasn't true. I wish, I wish we had preachers in the pulpits preaching the truth of God's word on a regular basis. But we're redefining things. And this is our culture today. And why has America ceased to be good? I don't know about you guys, but the Bible tells us in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15, that the church is to be a pillar of truth in society. But if you can't go to the church and get truth, what type of pillar do we have, guys? And the sad part is the world isn't going to the church anymore for answers. 2 Timothy 2.4, you can jot that down in your notes. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself in the affairs of this life that he may please him who enlisted him as a good soldier. I love that verse. Guys, you understand why we as the church, as Christians, are to be set apart? That's what God's called us to. That's what the youth group's going to be going through as you go through these letters. There is a call for God's people. If you have an ear to hear what the Spirit says to the Lord, we're to be different. We are to be set apart. We also know, guys, it takes faith to please him, right? Hebrews eleven six. for without faith, it is impossible to please God. Okay? We have to be men and women of faith. I love it. At our men's retreat, just a few weeks back, um, Joe Lamers, one of our elders here, uh, did a teaching for us, and I loved it because he went through just different characteristics uh, for a Christian man, which really would play into anybody, uh, you sisters too. But I just wanted to briefly just share with you what he walked us through uh, in his teaching. But first of all, a relationship with Jesus. Isn't that a faith thing, right? you got to have faith to come into relationship with Jesus Christ. And how important is that? And how does that look for you and I as believers in this life? 
Also, relationships with others, other men specifically is what he was talking about. But do you have real fellowship with other believers? Do you have a sister you can call when you're going through it? Brother, do you got somebody who's holding you accountable, who's praying for you on a regular basis, who's speaking truth into your life? He also went through with us what a man of integrity looks like. Okay? Because again, guys, if I say I'm a follower of Christ, can you come into my daily life, follow me around, and actually see that it's not just lip service? I'm not just saying I'm a Christian, but I'm actually living it. I'm walking it, okay? Whether it be purity or spiritually or emotionally. He also shared with us what it looks like to be a man in the family, okay? That's a faith thing too. I'm going to trust you because the world's telling me this is how I should be a dad. And this is what it looks like to be a good dad. But I'm looking to you, Heavenly Father, because you're the best dad of all time. (laughs) And you've told me this is what it looks like. Okay, and I'm going to follow your lead. Also, being a man uh, in the church, how does that look? How does service? Okay, this is for you sisters too. But is there a biblical unity within the body of Christ? We're seeing a lot of division today in the body of Christ. Why is that? Well, that's not of God. If we're really truly following him and loving one another, there's going to be unity in him, and that should be within the church. So also um, considering a man within the world, okay? Just as believers, as we're walking out our faith, are we sharing our faith? It's one thing to have faith, (laughs) but true faith will share faith with others. You guys get that? We will be sharing the gospel with others. Uh, And I would encourage you guys, I read this last week, um, just in that obedience to the Great Commission, if we're really going to do what God's called us to, okay, 84% of people come to faith between the ages of 4 and 14. I just read that this last week. If that's true, how important is our children's ministry outreach to children? It's huge. Okay, there's good news clubs. Okay, the fellowship, what's it called? Evangelism of children. What is that? Yes. Um, <laughs> it's a ministry, and they have these groups in public schools, okay, doing outreach, sharing the good news, having Bible studies. It's like a club in school. Um, but there's nothing locally, guys. Okay? We have nothing in the Fox Valley on those lines, and I would love to see something like that take place here. If kids are coming to uh, faith in Christ at those ages, Man, that's where we should be focusing. We should be sharing the gospel with these kids. That's why I love our children's ministry. Ms. Jana just finished up a curriculum. They're starting an Advent thing this morning. Okay, first of the year, we're going to be jumping into our regular curriculum. We're going to need some help with that. I think Liz is going to step up. We need helpers, other teachers. So I encourage you guys, um, get involved with that. Anyways, uh, let's look at the next thing here. Do you see commandments here? Um, Literally, when it says commandments, it is speaking about charges. Okay, God is charging us with things. So he denotes a word of command. So instruction, which is given by a superior to a subordinate. Okay, This is what we know. (laughs) We need to obey God because his ways are better. He is creator. We are his creation. We are here for him. And this is why we obey. 
He's superior. And when we don't obey God, you guys know what we're actually saying? God, I'm superior to you. That's what we're doing. I don't care what you say, who you are, because I'm going to be king right now, and I'm going to call the shots right now. And that's backwards. So let's take a look here. The will of God, moving on to verse 3. You know, I know we all want to know, for this is the will of God. All you guys are kind of like excited right now. Really? He's just going to tell us? Because I've been asking for a long time, what is the will of God? Well, he says here in verse 3, this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you, should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in passion of lust, like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one should take advantage and defraud his brother in this manner or matter, because the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we also forewarned you and testified. For God did not call us to uncleanness, but to holiness. Therefore, he who rejects this does not reject man, but God, who has also given us his Holy Spirit. Ellen Redpath wrote this. The will of God concerning service is individual, but the will of God concerning character is universal. Do you guys know that God cares about your character? Oh, it's easy to play church. How you doing? Oh, everything's great. Loving my wife, loving my family, serving Jesus. It's all good. Liar, liar, pants on fire. You see, God knows character. He knows the truth. He sees it all. He knows what's going on in the heart. And he cares about those things. You see, God's will for our life is that we would be conformed into the image of Christ. Let me say that again. The will of God for you is that you are conformed into the image of Christ. That's biblical. That is truth. That is what he's doing in you. Okay, so day by day, if we are not becoming more and more like our Lord and less like ourselves, there is something tragically wrong in our Christian experience. F.B. Meyer was once out at sea on a ship for a voyage. Coming to a port one night, he was standing on a bridge with the captain. It was very stormy that night, and he asked, and he looked at the entrance to the harbor. It seemed very narrow. He turned to the captain on the bridge beside him and said, Captain, how do you know when to turn the ship into the harbor. The captain looked at him and replied, that's an art. Do you see the three red lights on the shore? When they are all straight in a line, I go in. I believe, guys, God has given us three red lights. The Bible, the inward testimony of the Holy Spirit within our hearts, and then outward circumstances and guys when we see the word of god the spirit of god in outward circumstances all are in line go right ahead <laughs> but until then you stand still okay 
You stay where you are. So, what's God's will for my life? I'm glad you guys asked. It's your sanctification. Your sanctification. You guys know I keep my Bible on my pouch here. I've got a couple of verses on the side of my Bible pouch. And on the side of my Bible pouch is John 17, 17. And it says, sanctify them in truth. My word is truth. I take that very serious as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, as a preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that his word is what's going to sanctify us. I believe that. We just saw a couple chapters earlier how it effectively works in those who believe. And if Jesus tells us, hey, my will is your sanctification, and you are going to be sanctified by my word. How, do you, how important do you guys think the word of God is? It's pretty darn important, okay? We need to be spending more time in his word, guys. There are things, yeah, we're all busy, but there are things that we can cut out to prioritize his word, amen? Amen. So our sanctification involves separation from evil things. So in particular here, it's sexual immorality is what he wants us to be separated from from Ryrie also said this your sanctification is not just the ultimate aim okay or gradual attainment of the christian life but should be the ruling condition and atmosphere in which we live i like that so thou shall not commit adultery okay builds a wall around a marriage that makes the relationship not a prison, but a safe and a beautiful garden. And when it tells us about abstinence here, okay, a little bit of background for you and I, chastity in moral purity was unknown virtue of the day in which this was written. It wasn't the norm. You see, the Jews during this day it ranged in their thinking from strict to lax um, by the different rabbis of the day. So it just all depended on who you were listening to and being taught by. The Romans, for the first 520 years of the Republic, there was no divorce. Okay, And then Rome, uh, the morality just died. Okay? And I've seen that in my own lifetime, guys. We live in a great nation built on Christian Judean principles. This is what God has said. It was my grandparents' generation where divorce was very much looked down upon. And today, most people, if we're honest, we're going to a wedding. wonder if they're going to make it. How long until they get divorced? I'm sorry, but that's... That's where we're at today. That's how quickly things have changed right here in our own lifetimes. Uh, Seneca said uh, of marriages during the Roman time, guys, women were married to be divorced and divorced to be married. And then we had the Greeks. Uh, Demosthenes said, hey, we keep prostitutes for pleasure. We keep mistresses for the day-to-day needs of the body. And we keep wives for begetting children and for faithful guardianship of the homes. So long as a man then supported his wife and family, there was no shame for any extramarital relationships. 
I mean, the same thing goes on for apes at the zoo, guys. We are called to be different, especially as followers of God. See, Christianity lays down a new code of relationship between man and a woman, and that is purity. Distinctly different. It's beginning to be uh, that time of year when we start using a lot of this stuff. Unless you're in the Churchill home. I, don't, I can't keep enough of these around. Okay, my kids are always building something, and this adhesive tape is all over our house, sticking up things here or there. Um, but adhesive tape, okay, um, it's not made for repetitive use, is it? It doesn't work right. You see, the strongest bond of adhesive tape uh, that it can possibly make is formed in the first surface that it's stuck to, okay? That's when it's at its best. And you can remove the tape, and you can reapply the tape over and over again several times, and it's still going to adhere, right? It's still going to work a little bit, but I can already tell it's not quite as sticky as it first was. So with every application, some of the adhesive there has been compromised. And finally, if you continue to practice long enough, there will not be enough adhesive left to make the tape stick to any surface whatsoever. You see, God has intended, guys, for that bond between mates to be the closest and the strongest one that is possible, that is capable in forming. Um, how many of you guys are familiar with Samson? All right, we all know, strong dude, right? Um, I think he's a good example for us. I love, I read Chuck uh, Swindell's take on Samson years ago, and it's always stuck with me because he said uh, of Samson that, he, that a he-man, that he was a he-man with a she-weakness. Like, that's perfect. That's exactly uh, our man Samson, okay? You guys know his story. He was born of godly parents, right? He was set apart to be a, a Nazarite. He was elevated in Israel to be one of their judges, yet he never conquered the tendency towards lust. On the contrary, we know of him, it conquered him. His first words in Scripture are found in Judges 14 too. I have seen a woman. Uh-oh. He was attracted strictly on the basis of outward appearance. That was Samson's problem. Lust got the best of him. In the next two verses, he says, Get her for me. She looks good to me. That's what Samson was all about. So when we consider this passage of Scripture that's set before us, Control your body, we're told in verse 4. Subdue your passions in verse 5. Treat others fairly in verse 6. So if we look at verse 4 here, guys, um, considering the vessel that we've been given, our bodies, okay, what is Paul telling us here? Remember self-control? That's one of the fruits of the Spirit, right? Okay, so that's something that God has for us. Your bodies belong to Jesus, okay? Jesus bought you with a great price. That's what we're taught in Scripture. The Spirit of God indwells you. The Father has called you to holy living. So when did thou shall not become maybe? 
That's my question. Thou shall not. Should never be even a thought of maybe. Fornication, guys, is kind of like a bee sting. You leave behind in each encounter something of yourself by which you are made to suffer. In pornography, it has no place in the believer's life whatsoever. Okay? Sensuality is the biggest obstacle, I think, for us today in our culture when it comes to Christian living. It's everywhere. Okay? We watch pretty clean TV in the Churchill home. Uriah, don't I tell you guys multiple times, you know, a week to close your eyes? Because we just don't even know what's going to come up on the screen, even though it's a okay show. I mean, it's to the point. It's just like, what, <laughs> what is our society given over to? It's everywhere. Even just riding down the street, the billboards. I don't even like going to the mall. It's everywhere we go, guys. So, the fall of King David should not only instruct us, but scare us that sensuality, uh, it should scare it right out of us when we consider his life. Um, we need to fill ourselves with God's word. What do I do? How do I sanctify myself in such a matter? Well, we can memorize passages like this. Would you guys say this is a phenomenal passage to put to memory? Absolutely. I would encourage all of you, moms and dads, Teach your kids these scriptures, okay? Have them put it to memory. I think another good one, you can start jotting down some notes here. Job 31, uh, verse 1, I have made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully upon a young woman, okay? Have you purposed in your heart? Hey, God has called me to sexual purity, okay? I'm not to even look at a woman in the wrong way because Jesus said that's adultery, so what am I going to do to nip lust in, the, <laughs> in its butt? Well, I'm going to purpose in my heart. I've already made the decision. Not, oh, I'm going to see if she's cute or not. No, I've already purposed in my heart. It's a done deal. I don't even have to look to check to see if she's cute because I've already purposed in my heart. I'm not even going there. Okay? I look at my wife. She's the cute one, period. Okay? <laughs> That's it. Uh, Proverbs 6.27, jot that down. Can a man take a fire to his bosom and his clothes not be burned? And then I love earlier in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 3 to 7, but fornication, all uncleanness, covetousness, let it not even be named among you, Christian, as is fitting for the saints. Neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor coarse jesting, which is not fitting, but rather giving thanks. For this you know, that no fornicator, unclean person, no covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ or God. And let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers of them. And then one of my favorite ones is 2 Timothy uh, 2.22. Uh, it's a scripture I shared often when I was in youth ministry. It says, flee youthful lusts, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace with those who call on the name of the Lord out of a pure heart. So flee youthful lusts. In the Greek, the word flee is fugo. So I always think, fool, go. Like, you know, <laughs> run away. I've been telling my boys since they were little, you know, hey, what do you do if you ever see a naked 
girl. What do you do, Uriah? Close your eyes and run away. <laughs> They've known that since they were little bitties. It's one of those things, guys, we got to take the word of God and take it serious. Develop divine awareness that sustained Joseph. I think of Genesis 39.9. How can I do this great wickedness in a sin against who? God. And that's what it boils down to, brothers and sisters. And oh yeah, pornography is not just a guy problem. Okay, There's a great percentage of women who are into pornography today. And I encourage you guys, don't even give place for it. Make no provision for the flesh. Mom and dads, do not let your kids go on social media online alone, okay? Be present. Yeah, they need to learn in space, but if they're going to be on devices, let them be with you, be supervising that stuff. So I think of verse 8 here, this section, how it's all sealed with a kiss here. It says, if you walk out of here, you know, today and don't take heed to your sanctification holiness and sexual purity you're not rejecting me you're rejecting who god it's god period our culture war is crazy and it's all against god sometimes we think we're fighting one another no We are sinful and we are rebellious because we don't like what God has declared and what he has asked of us. I think my heart breaks for young people today going off to university, social ethic classes, professors in there giving, setting boundaries on the topics within the class, the only topics that will be covered, but of the approach in which you take on a topic is only through the lenses that they choose for their students to look through and the sources that they can use and the sources that they're not allowed to use. So this is really our educational system today. And there is no more thinking for yourselves. And that's why people are in trouble. How many people are actually thinking about God? And if there is a creator... How am I then responsible? What is my part to my creator? I mean, we're even teaching our kids there is no God. Only a fool says there's no God. The foolishness going on in our schools today, it's sad. I asked Sunny, are you willing to come up? That'd be awesome. I asked her this morning. She's teaching at a public high school uh, right now, one of the ones that are actually in person at the time. Um, but she's an English teacher. I just asked her to share a little bit of what she's been experiencing recently at the school. Yeah, so I have the privilege of teaching ninth and 10th graders English this year. And our first unit was on identity, um, which is really neat in terms of getting to know the students and and having some of those conversations. Um, But the heartbreaking part of it was that part of the curriculum that had been made was using these rings of identity. Um, and two of them, I mean, they have race and ethnicity, religion, um, but then they had things like gender as fluid, not just male and female, but anything in between or sexual orientation. Um, and they're just, it's an assumption. Um, 
they're they're assuming that these are all just parts of our identity and I think it's exactly what Landon Landon was saying just when and that's where my heart breaks like we should look at this in a way of compassion when people reject God when they don't know God where do they find their identity of course they're going to be trying to search for it in these these places um and our culture kind of has an obsession with sexuality and, and looks as sexuality as a place to find our identity, and that's not where it is. <laughs> but I did uh, with, I don't know, I guess I kind of explained to a couple of the other teachers why I didn't want to include those things, and they were like, well, yeah, take it out. So I took out a couple of those rings, and I replaced them with origins in hopes of getting them to at least think about where do we come from, you know, like, who, why are we here? How did we get here? I mean, if we just kind of came by chance, then like, yeah, you get to make up the rules, find your identity wherever, <laughs> like that's, that's where it comes from. But if we are made by God, if we have a creator, he is where we find our identity. Um, so is that what you wanted to Thanks, babe. I recall not long ago, guys, that Americans thought marriage between <clears throat> was between just a man and a woman. It wasn't that long ago, guys. Um, now, to oppose same-sex marriage, you're going to be labeled and you're going to be accused as a bigot. That's the society we're living in. I didn't, I'm not that old, but that's not how I grew up. But that's what people, our children, are growing up with today. And historically, I heard uh, John uh, Streethouse. Is that his name? Stone Street. Stone Street. That's what it is. Uh, this week he was interviewed, and uh, I'm just going to paraphrase some of the, the points he made. But it was really enlightening uh, for me because I just thought it really brought around some clarity to uh, just how historically inaccurate um, those type of accusations are that, hey, you, you hate and you're a bigot if you think that marriage is just between a man and a woman, if you have any opposition to same-sex marriage. Uh, so when we say a lot of people were against same-sex marriage until uh, just recently, we could say that no culture in history of the world ever imagined a thing as same-sex marriage until a very recent history. And this is the part that I was intrigued by. And he wanted, he wanted to clarify and make the point that even cultures that had no Christian views on sexual morality, even those that weren't even informed by religious hang-ups, in other words, they saw observably a difference between intimate relationships between two men and intimate relationships between men or a man and a woman and the potential procreative result of the union. And because of that, even cultures that had no hang-ups with that sort of sexual behavior still did not call the, the same thing as marriage. And that's an important data point, he said, because the reason is because it helps us understand that it is nothing to do with bigotry, okay? It has to do with observable differences that exist that are completely being denied across the board. Welcome to our culture today. This is the war we're in. And you guys have heard me say 
uh, enjoy jail ministry. But if I just said what I just said, and if I was faithful to the word of God and continued to preach it verse by verse, if I was doing this in Canada, I'd probably be thrown into prison. Laws are trying to be put through today for the church to be completely silenced. But that's never going to, it's never going to change here at Freedom. I know some churches have already, uh, because of whatever misguided fear, <laughs> um, have succumbed to culture rather than standing upon the word of God. And we're not going to succumb to our culture, guys. Man, people change. The minds of men, we're wicked. We're warped. Okay, the days are going to, I believe we're living the last days, and if we really believe it, I know a lot of Christians today are tripping out, and we want to hold so tightly to the blessings we have and the little bit of righteousness that might remain, but I take the word of God seriously, okay? The days are going to grow eviler and eviler. It's going to get worse and worse the closer we get. That's what the Bible teaches us. So when I look at what's going on around us, I am not surprised one bit, okay? Why? Because I believe Jesus is coming, and he's coming back any day soon, which we're going to get into next week. But for this morning, I want to wrap this up. So let's look at verses 9 and 10, just a few more verses, and then we'll worship together. Uh, look at verse 9 here. But concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I should write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another, and indeed, you do so towards all the brethren who are in all Macedonia. But we urge you, brethren, that you increase more and more. So when we think about love being one of the marks for the Christian, for a true believer, okay, we know that we pass from death to life in that uh, we have love for the brethren, right? First John 3.14. That's how we know. Can you guys look around and say, yeah, I love my brethren. I hope so, okay? And that's something God's put into our hearts. I don't know what it is. I've traveled overseas. I've gone and done missions among people that I can't even speak to them because our languages are different, but because they are born again in the spirit of God, a child of God's, man, there is just a love that I have for them. Instant fellowship, hugging each other, What's up with that? Okay, it's just that's what we have in Christ. It's beautiful. So there was no need, guys, uh, for them to write about love because love is one of the birthmarks of the believer. It's just when you're born again, man, I don't know why I couldn't stand you. I hated you. Now I love you. Why? Because God's taken that heart of stone. You now have a heart of flesh. You've been born again in the spirit. God said, love your enemies. I didn't think that was possible. I thought that was one of the dumbest things that I've ever heard in my entire life. But now because I have faith, I can actually love my enemy. Actually care about them and their well-being. I want to see them to come to faith too. So, it is not enough that we love only those in our fellowship. Okay? That's easy. You guys are easy to love, right? We must love all people and even the lost, okay? Back to chapter 3, verse 12, more and more we're told every day, we are called to love. So, let's look at verses 11 and 12 here. It says that you also aspire to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, 
and to work with your own hands as we commanded you, that you may walk properly towards those who are outside, that you may lack nothing. Now these few scriptures have been in my heart much this last year. I was asked to speak at a men's conference earlier this year, and this passage of scripture is the one I chose to teach from. I think it's one of the most practical, important passages in all of the Bible for us as believers. Even though some of these topics are a little hard to talk about and wrestle through, it's needed, okay? And as he wraps this up, and this is where we're going to wrap up this morning, um, I think this is very important for you and I. Because these believers in Thessalonica, they expected the Lord to return any day. And that's why Paul addressed them the way he did. Some believers, they were quitting their jobs. They became idlers and meddlers. So what type of testimony would that be to the lost? Think about that. We're told here to keep calm in verse 11, right? Lead a quiet life. That's the opposite of restlessness, tranquility of mind. I see so many Christians right right now that are tripping out about what's going on in the world. Okay? We shouldn't be tripping. Is Jesus tripping? No. I tell you things, these things beforehand, okay, that, you, that you'd have peace. He doesn't want us tripping, guys. So it's an interesting paradox if we consider this. Restlessly strive to be quiet. So it really heightens that contrast of the world's ideals and then the laws of Christ. And then he tells us here to mind our own business. Well, that's kind of hard to do because we're in everybody's business. What's our neighbor up to? Do you know what our coworker's doing? How can our boss do that? Did you see that on the news last night? Like we're in everybody else's business all the time. And we're told by God, mind your own business. So do your own affairs, okay? Don't be a Christian sponge, a freeloader, a parasite, or a leech, okay? We're called to serve and to love this world, aren't we? That's what we should be giving ourselves to, okay? For some, it's not their fault because of circumstances. But we know brothers and sisters are going through it. We want to help them. We want to bless them. But if we are able, we work and we bless others. That's what we are called to. So if we're minding our own business and doing our own thing, that's going to be the fruit of our lives. And then he tells us to go to work. Okay, work with your own hands. So not necessarily manual labor, but working opposed to being idle. Okay, because some of us have way too much time and all we do with our downtime is we're getting into trouble. Okay, we're gossips, we're going places, doing things, reading too much about what we really shouldn't even be caring about. God has us on a mission and if I'm wasting all my time on this stuff, okay, man, what God's called me to where He's commanded obedience. When do I have time for that? Okay, sometimes we need to reprioritize, brother and sister, and we need to say no to some things in order to do what God's calling us to do. So God has not spoken anywhere in the scriptures about his children being idlers. I think uh, each one of us is appointed to work. I think of Mark 13. You guys recall when Jesus said, take heed, watch and pray? For you do not know when the time is. It's like a man going to a far country who left his house and gave authority to his servants 
and to each his work and commanded the doorkeeper to watch. So that's Mark 13, 33, and 34. So even those who will be saved right before the rapture takes place, God expects them to be busy about his business. You guys know that? If you've just come to faith in Christ, guess what? You got a new mission in life. That's the way it is. And I love when people come to faith in Christ. What's the first thing they do? They go home and tell their family. They're on mission. Guess what God did? Guess who Jesus is? Do you know why he died on the cross? Do you know why Christmas is so cool now? You know, it's just one of those things uh, where to be about his business. And you remember those uh, laborers in the parable that Jesus shared in Matthew chapter 20? There was this landowner who goes out and hires laborers 6 a.m., noon, 3 p.m., 5 p.m., and even at the 11th hour, and he only hired them, or he hired them to work. But even though there were there some, just even for an hour, a short time, okay, there was still work for them to do. So I don't care how old you are or how new in the Lord you are, <laughs> there's work to be done. God has something for us. So be faithful to your job, okay? Your Monday morning pulpits, okay? We all have different jobs. Uh, at a Bible conference one time, there was a speaker who said, regardless of your employment, your job is sacred. I want you guys to own that. Your job is sacred. A man afterward asked the man next to him, what's your job? He answered, I'm an ordained plumber. Do you live in that reality, brother and sister? What has God called you to? Okay, You've been ordained by God in that calling. And then the last verse, our witness, verse 12 here, guys, that you may walk properly towards those who are outside and that you may lack nothing. So if we do the three above here to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, and to work with your own hands, unbelievers are going to see a difference between us and them. Okay, They will see that. There's going to be order and not confusion. Idleness versus diligence, sponging versus independence. And again, I'm going to quote William Barclay, our lives must be sermons to win men for Christ. Christian people are watching you. You call yourself a follower of Jesus, they're watching you. Okay, Let your life reflect Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Let's stand. We are going to worship because he is worthy he is good he is our god and father what a privilege to be able to have time in your word and what a privilege now to be able to worship together we desire to do that in spirit and in truth god we thank you for your word simply profound in so many ways i would pray for each and every one of us god that you would help uh, help us where we lack Lord, show us where we can step up, where you're asking obedience. God, we want to follow you well. We want to honor you. We want to glorify you. We want people to see you clearly. God, so let us live uh, just as salt and light. God, that the world would know that you are alive, that you are well, that you are the Savior of this world. Amen.